We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. I'm just curious, anybody in here, some of you are guests, but then that's great. We're thrilled you're here. But for, for my home folks, do any of, you, any, any of you in here ever listen to any other preachers besides me? Huh? It's okay. You can admit it. I'm not going to be... A, I, I, that's okay. I have an approved list that it's okay for you to listen to. I just, I, I'm just curious. I, um, and it, it, Preaching's never been more accessible than it is right now, which is good and is also dangerous. But listening to the Word of God preached well, exposited well, explained well is fantastic. I love listening to preaching. I like listening to good preaching. I even like listening to bad preaching sometimes. Um, and so the other day, I'm, I'm flipping channels. Because sometimes when I've just had a really calm day and I'm worried that my blood pressure may be too low, I like to go to the upper channels and watch fools and then critique them out loud. My wife goes and watches some Lifetime movie while I'm doing that. We have separate TVs in the house because we want to stay married. So I'm... And I'm, I flip on the other day, and this, there's, a, there's a guy, and he is, and, and let me just tell you this. I think passion is important in preaching, absolutely. I think you ought to exhibit emotion because it ought to touch your emotions. But oftentimes what you will, you will hear people say, and I've heard this a thousand times, who that guy was really preaching. Just because somebody is hollering or screaming does not mean that there's necessarily content behind the emotion. So I noticed the other day I'm watching this individual, that's the best way I can describe this individual, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess he would call it preach, but every time he would get to a place and he didn't know what to say. Uh, when, I was young, when I was younger, some of you may remember this, my parents stayed on me um, for um, um, like, you know. And so my dad, not always in the most gentle way, would look at you and say, um, like, you know, um, like, you know, um, like, like. And then you would get to where you didn't even want to speak. Uh, 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 get arrested. And so this fella, I could tell you when he was speaking that he did not know what to say. He had gotten to places. So every point in the sermon, and if you listen to preachers, you will find this. Don't listen for mine. Just listen to this for other people. Don't listen to it with me but you will find that they often have space fillers when they don't know what to say to let your brain catch up. We do this in conversation, but you see it in the pulpit all the time. And oftentimes, it's the same phrase. This fellow's phrase was glory to God. So he would be preaching alone, and glory to God, he'd say, and then he would say some more, and then couldn't come up, and then the next thing I want to tell you is glory to God, my second point, and I'm listening to this, and I'm going... I don't know that God's getting any glory out of this. Because it had become, so it, it brought the question to my mind, we do say that from time to time, glory to God. What does it mean, not only that God is glorious, but when we are talking about the phrase solo de gloria, or God's glory alone, what does it mean, not only that God has glory, we talked about that last week from Isaiah chapter 6, but what does it look like in worship to give God glory? I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 24. If you have your Bibles with you, let's look at Psalm chapter 24 tonight. A beautiful, a beautiful psalm. 
uh, one that you're going to be familiar with. In fact, uh, when, we, when we read this, some of you will be familiar. We actually sing a song here. I, I love it. It is a song that is written on Psalm 24. In fact, the title of the song is Psalm 24. There is a movement now in worship, um, the writing of worship songs, and I am 100% behind this movement, of taking Scripture and setting it to music. When you sing the Psalms, when actual Scripture is being sung, Sometimes those will, people will sing those and people will say, well, I just like the old stuff. I don't like the new stuff. Well, Isaac Watts came after King David. So when we sing the Psalms and those are set to music, we don't know what music it was set to when these Psalms were written. We don't know the, the melodies. We don't know how that was set. But we can join with saints of old when we repeat scripture. So I love, I love this psalm. If you haven't heard that song, uh, Psalm 24, you can check it out. You can YouTube it. However you listen to music, you can check it out. Um, but tonight, I want us to read this together. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his, his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. I love the Psalms. Had a conversation today. Awesome conversation. Young person, early 20s. Lord's gotten a hold of their life, excited, convicted, loving, loving the Lord, talking about what God's done. And one of the things that we had the privilege of talking about is what it is when we start to read the Bible, places that we can go. I tell people when you're just starting to read the Bible that the greatest place to start is in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially the Gospel of John. If you haven't read, if you're just starting to read the Bible, you say, I don't know where to start. Don't start haphazard. Start with the Gospel of John and read through it. A great, a great way to read the Bible is to read a chapter out of a Gospel and a chapter out of the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms is if it, at times if you struggle in your prayer life, go to the Psalms. They are prayers, and they are inspired prayers. You don't have to invent your own prayers. We have 150 of them that were given to us as a guidebook. So sometimes it's not about just reading the psalm to get through with it, but take it, and as you read it, offer it up as a prayer to God, offer it up as a praise to God. And so in this psalm, just to give you a little background, you see that on your sheet, this is a song of praise that was used as an entrance ceremony when the Ark of the Covenant was brought from, to Jerusalem from the house of Obed-Edom. If you want to read the background on that, that comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6. And tradition tells us it was sung on the first day of each week. And it answers this question, how do we give glory to God alone? Or to ask it a little bit different way, what is acceptable worship? 
What is acceptable worship? Um, <clears throat> saying glory to God over and over again, saying hallelujah over and over again, saying amen over and over again is not necessarily acceptable worship. So what does acceptable worship really look like? Um, and, and so tonight we're focusing on the glory of God, but we're focusing specifically on how is it that we ascribe glory to God or give glory to God or worship the Lord? What is it that God demands? And so this psalm gives us some very, very, very key clues that help us to see that. Number one, by acknowledging that he alone deserves glory because he created and owns the world. Did you see verses one and two? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. I was moved years ago by an illustration I've, I heard, and some of you have heard this. I've used this before because I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Um, if you're redeemed, if you're saved, if you're born again, you belong to God. But I want you to think about something for just a moment. If I was, um, my son, when he was younger, had a phase, um, when I say into Legos, I mean would sit and build a, a city. And something's a little OCD because it had to look exactly like the box. We weren't, we brought the instructions out. We were not building this and just taking the Legos and building haphazard mess. That wasn't going to work. We had a picture of the box, and it had to look exactly like the box. And I want you to pretend for just a moment that he was given a, a, a thing of Legos, and he took that and then built whatever it was, a battleship out of it, uh, a muscle car, whatever the Lego kit was supposed to be. And then you might say that because those were his Legos and that he built it, that that was his muscle car or his ship because he built it. Now, let's say that he was to lose that somewhere, irresponsible, left it somewhere, and someone was to pick that up. And I don't have a whole lot of people that are selling Legos, but just pretend with me that he was to walk by a toy store one day, and he was to look into the toy store, and he was to see his Lego muscle car that was in there. And he said, Dad, that is mine. He said, I know that's mine. That's exactly the one I made that I left somewhere. And so we went into the shop and said, hey, look, that's, that's my kid's Lego. He made that. I watched him make that. That's his. And the shop owner said, well, that's all well and good, but I bought that off somebody. So that's my Lego now. So if you want that, you're welcome to it, but you're going to buy it. So he looks up and says, well, I really want it. Takes whatever allowance is left in his pocket, and he buys it. And we take it home. And he puts it there on in his room to display to anybody who would come in now when you saw this lego creation he might tell you that it was his twice it was his once because he made it and it's his twice because he bought it now i want you to think about god's ownership of your life you are his once because he made you he created you he created the world everything in it so god owns you but watch this. Then he had to purchase you back because of your sin, and he used the currency of his son's blood 
to buy you back and purchase you from sin and death so that now when God looks at you and calls you a child, which he does, Romans 8, you are an adopted child of God. And it is by that spirit of sonship, Romans 8 said, that we call him Abba. So God could say of any of you that are born again, redeemed, justified, if you are saved, God could say of you, they are mine twice. Once because I made them and twice because I redeemed them. When we consider what the Lord owns and everything in it, part of worship is recognizing that he owns everything, which includes our life. That's how we put it all into perspective. Um, you know, I, I do think it is, a, it is tough. Certainly when Jesus said it is impossible for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. Do you remember him saying that? He said, in fact, it would be easier for a camel to do what? Walk through the eye of a needle, right? Why is it so difficult? Because very few people who are wealthy. Now, let me explain this to you. You're wealthy. Some of you, I'm not wealthy. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. There's not, no, none of you, every one of you in here qualifies as wealthy. You're on a different scale, but you all qualify as wealthy. On world standards, you qualify as wealthy. On world standards, you have roof over your head, bills paid, you have food to eat, those type things. We're not talking about the amount of stocks or properties or anything else. I'm talking about just basic human needs met that qualifies you as wealthy. So what makes it difficult for those type, for anybody that has anything, Part of it is that it's hard for us to recognize that we really don't own anything, nothing. Some people argue you down on that, and you can just look at them, and here's a great response. I tell you what, let's not fight about it. Let's just talk about it in 100 years. We'll just talk about it in 100 years. And what you figure out is that they own absolutely nothing, that everything that we have is God's, it's on loan from the Lord, and part of worship is recognizing that everything that is owned is owned by God. So when we accept that we own nothing, not even our own lives, that everything is from the Lord. So what that means is, it, and I think we all can be convicted to think about not just worship when it comes to Sunday mornings, but our daily lives. When we recognize that you take approximately 23,000 breaths a day. 23,000 breaths a day. And the only reason you took one was because the Lord allowed it. That frames the way we view life and the way that we give God glory. Um, and so acknowledge that he alone deserves glory because he created and owns the world. Um, number two, how else do we live lives of worship, acceptable worship? Number two, by living holy lives. We looked at this a little bit last week when we looked at Isaiah 6, by living holy lives. These were, uh, did any of you grow up in church traditions where you did responsive reading? Is anybody familiar with responsive reading? Um, often in the back of a hymnal, you still have responsive readings. And what that was is the, the preacher or the music minister or someone would stand in front of the church and you would turn to a responsive reading. And the Minister would say one sentence, and then the congregation would be directed to say another sentence. Often those were um, 
specific scriptures. They would take scriptures, turn it into a responsive reading, and that was part often of liturgical traditions, but also a lot of different church traditions where you had responsive reading. When you look at Psalm 24, I want you to think about this um, in terms of a responsive reading. Because you see the questions, this was what would be asked by the priest. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in the holy place? And then the people would answer, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. So the priest would ask the question, the congregation or the people would answer the question. And who may come before the Lord? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart. When Isaiah called out last week, you can remember he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. So clean hands, a pure heart. When we say we, we come before the Lord with clean hands, we're home folks tonight, right? We're all, we're all close. We can just be honest, right? Have any of you ever washed your hands as much as you did during COVID? Ever washed your hands that much? No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Reminds me of that little boy. He was in the bathroom at church, and he went to the bathroom. He came out of there. This old deacon was standing there, and he said, Hey, little boy. That little boy turned and looked at him, and he said, uh, You're not going to wash your hands? He said, No, sir. That old deacon looked at him, and he said, uh, Well, that's nasty. I was taught as a young man, that after I go to the bathroom, I would wash my hands. He said, well, that's fine, sir. I was taught not to pee on my hands. <laughs> a little Wednesday night humor. Uh, uh, that's a preacher joke. A preacher joke, right? Uh, 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 uh. But we never cleaned our hands that much. I, I'm running around. I had at one point an economy size. I actually had, some of you had this too. You can make fun of me, but you had it too. I had hand sanitizer that was large enough to fit in a cup holder. Like it's coming out of a cup holder in my truck because you got, and that became normal just to get in your truck and put alcohol all over your hands and my hands were all cracked up and because I was worried to death you know because I, I never was the type I never knew how to give up shaking hands I tried like we tried that for a while but that was weird because I grew up in a southern culture and that was a weird thing too because I'm trying to teach my son to be a man and not walk around and look at people like that and look at people in the eye and shake hands and do all those things and now here we go don't shake hands run away from people when you see them stay six feet away go get in the closet that was a weird that was weird so we had hand sanitizer everywhere wash our hands all over the place and then you come across this verse says it has clean hands why old school now let's go old school i'm talking about way back do any of you have grandparents that when you sat at the table they visibly inspected your hands before they let you eat did you have these people my grandmother did that. You sat down, she grabbed your hand and looked at your hand because she knew, I guess, I was a grubby little boy. And before we eat, she wanted to make sure that my hands were at least clean enough to touch food. And she'd look at my hand and say, okay. I knew not to go to my grandmother's table with nasty, dirty hands. 
Why in the world do you think you can be in the presence of God with sin stains that you have not repented of and have not confessed? That's not worship. You can't go to God any way you want to go. That's a modern myth. Oh God, you just come on any way you want to come. You have to come with clean hands and the Bible says you have to come with a pure heart. You see that? When we say talk about the heart, we're talking about our motivations, our drives, our ambition, the why being the most important thing. If you've ever had someone befriend or compliment you only to find out later it was just because they wanted something from you. Um, oftentimes, the way that people approach worship is they get real close to God when they need God for something, when they want God for something. And then maybe it is that God answers or that, that things work out in their life or a relationship gets repaired or they get through with something. And I'm telling you, I've seen this as you have hundreds if not thousands of times. And all of a sudden these people that were so serious about their relationship with God, well, they got out of a jam and they don't have anything to do with the Lord anymore. That's not a pure heart. Part of worship is wanting God for God, not because of the parlor tricks that God can do for us. And so when it says we're to have a, a pure heart, that's what he's talking about. Um, sometimes people, we, we often have these heart scans. Um, the last time, last time I went to the doctor, well, I hate hearing stuff like this. And I know some of you are older than me, so you're going to think that's no big deal. Just wait. But I went to the doctor and they said, well, you're 40 now. It's about time for you to have a heart healthy checkup. I don't know why that offended me. But it was like, I'm not old enough. You, you kind of have this bristled reaction. Like, I'm not old enough for a heart-healthy checkup. I don't need a heart-healthy checkup. I'm fine. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that. And the reason is, is that none of us really know. And I'm not trying to be just really negative on a Wednesday night. But we don't really know right now what's going on inside of our, our heart. I'm talking about physically right now. You don't know unless you had a heart cath today, unless you saw it today. We don't know what blockages are there. We don't know what impurities are there. We don't know what needs to happen, but often they have to be cleaned out, and people take that seriously. If you were told, I can remember when my mother called, my dad had gone into a immediate care, and we're talking about like kind of like a stack, just like stack here, for sinuses and some congestion. Like, no big deal. So I thought. And my mother calls me and she said, hey, your dad went by to see the doctor today and uh, he lifts his chest and said that he could, they could either call the ambulance to take him from the immediate care to the hospital or she could drive him from there, but they had to go straight to the emergency room because the doctor at the immediate care did not like what he heard. That's a kind of a showstopper gets to the doctor and they do the, the heart, they do the EKG, they do a heart cath, come back and say, he's got all four major arteries are 90 or 100% blocked. And by the way, he also has a faulty heart valve that has not been right since birth. We don't know how he hasn't died. That's what, that's, we don't know how he hadn't died. Like he should have just falling over and exactly what they told me and my mom is if he had have had a heart attack he not only wouldn't have lived till the ambulance got there he would have been dead before he hit the ground like just literally when the heart just boom and so 
I'm going, we fished together last Friday. You know, you're, you kind of, all of these things are, are going through your mind. But one thing that didn't go through my mind, never went through my mind, is to look at the doctor and say, we don't really think that's a big deal. We're going home. Don't worry about it. That's no big deal. We'll give him a centrum. Maybe he ought to just, you know, try to take a walk. Maybe we'll do a little something, but we, we're going to the house. No, everything stopped. We didn't leave the hospital. Scheduled the surgery for like two days later. All of that was done. Every consult had to meet about what kind of valves to put inside of him, whether we were going to go with a mechanical valve or a pig valve and weigh all of those options. And we did all of that. And the reason was, was because there was a, something that we understood, and you understand it too, that without his heart being right, he was dead. Nothing else was going to be right, right? So we took it seriously. Then how is it, and forget, forget that, the, the preaching, how is it that, that's, that you can be exposed to the Word of God, convicted of the sin of your life, and people walk out of here, this sanctuary, from the Word of God, from reading the Word of God, from Bible studies all the time, and act like it's just no big deal. If, my, if we had told the doctor, we're going home, this is no big deal. That would have been horrendous had my dad been walking out to get the newspaper because they still get a physical newspaper. Walked out to get the newspaper and bent down to pick it up and never gotten back up off of the ground. That would have been horrendous. But what we're talking about is if that happens and you don't take seriously the heart condition, not only do you hit the ground, but you go to hell. And people allow that information to just go right over them all the time. So what we're really talking about, what the preaching of the Word of God ought to be, what the studying of the Word of God ought to be, is a diagnosis about real heart conditions. And then number three, we live holy lives by clean hands, a pure heart, and then those who do not lift up their souls to an idol. Those who don't lift up their souls to an idol. I was telling my children the other day, and this is, if you, know, if you know what I'm about to say, then you probably are old enough to need a heart-healthy checkup, all right? If you understand this, but I was telling them about 35-millimeter film. Totally, un, they, n, that we had cameras that were not on our phones, and you only got... You, the little cheap roll was 12 pictures, 24, and if you were a big spender, you'd get that 36 roll. You remember that 36 roll? Kodak. And you took that little roll, and you had to be careful because you couldn't pull that stuff out. If the light hit it, it was over, right? But you didn't know what kind of picture you had. You took like 12 because you didn't know what was going to happen. There wasn't any stop and check and see if everybody was smiling. And by the way, this is free. This has not, nothing to do with the Bible. I just want to tell you all this right now. And women, I want to speak to you right now. And this is a bone I have to pick with you because we as men do not appreciate this. When y'all take pictures, the only person y'all look at in the picture is you. 
we sent out a Christmas card one time and my eyes were closed. And I said, baby, I love you. And she, she said, you look fine. I said, I look ridiculous. I said, I don't mind. I said, look, I'm already bald. I can at least have my eyes open in the Christmas picture, right? That's free. Let's move on. You had to have, so you had these, you, you, you had these little film canisters. They came in little black canisters. They had a little gray top on them. And that is, that's what your film came in. And sometimes when we had that, you weren't allowed to waste film. In fact, my parents, do you remember the little disposable cameras? Anytime I took a trip somewhere, that's what I took with me. A little disposable, it was wrapped in foil. Y'all remember this? Wrapped in foil. And I always got the speech. Now, you don't waste those pictures. Well, how am I going to know if I've wasted them? Because I can't look at them. And then you would take them. Well, then once everybody got phones, now we've lived now for years in this selfie culture where people are enamored with this selfie thing where we think the world, and then we have to post where we are and what it is that we're doing, and we're taking all these pictures of ourselves, and we're extending our arms, and we've got them out here, and they made a stick. They made a stick for people to carry around so you could take pictures of yourself. Some of y'all have one. You bought a stick to take pictures of yourself. That's weird. That is weird. And some of you right now are putting it in your purse. You're like, hey, put this up. But you got a stick and you walk around and we take pictures of ourselves. But I think that helps us to see something because we're in the middle of talking about Elijah and we've talked about Baal worship and astral poles and these prophets of Baal and all of that. Do you know what the biggest Baal is in our culture? Take your selfie and then look at the person you just took the picture of, and there's your idol. It's always been that way. Self. Self is what gets in the way of true worship. J.I. Packer said this, What other gods could we have besides the Lord? Plenty. For Israel, there were the Canaanite Baals, those jolly nature gods whose worship was a rampage of gluttony and drunkenness and ritual prostitution. And for us, they're still great gods. Sex, shekels, and stomach. An unholy trinity constituting one god, self, and the other enslaving trio, pleasure, possessions, and position. Think about that. That's, a, that's, fan, that's easy to remember. The unholy healthy or unholy trinity of self-worship is possessions, pleasure, and position. That's talking about power, wealth, and pleasure. That's what the world thinks everything is about. So you design your gods around the trinity of that unholy trinity that we've just described. So living holy lives and then number four, the fourth part of living a holy life is that you cannot be someone who swears by what is false. Swears by what is false. We, we just live in a lying culture. We accept lies. We accept people being liars. 
We actually live in a day where we're okay with people lying. It, it's just part of the culture. Now, how does that bleed over? I'm tempted sometimes, and, and, and I'm still working this out. I don't know how you're exactly supposed to approach. We, we always see the difference in white lies and then outright lies. I don't know that there's anybody in here who, if you said, I never lie, I bet you're lying now. We all lie. People ask dumb questions. And because people ask dumb questions, they force you to lie. Do you like this? No, it is nasty. I don't like it. It tastes terrible. Could you imagine if you really said the things that are on your heart? Don't you think this is good? No, I hate it. It makes me want to vomit. That would be a horrible, a horrible. Don't you think this dress looks nice? No, you look really fat. You shouldn't ever wear that again. Do you like my hair? No, I don't know why you cut it like that. I don't know why you style it like that. And I don't know why you color it like that. In fact, of all the hair I've ever seen, that's the worst. Um, <laughs> if we really told the truth on everything, there would be some difficulty. So we all know that we're lying. But if lying has become part of the way that we live to the point, you say, well, how does that affect my worship? If you lie all the time and then you come in here and sing praises to God, why would God think that you're telling the truth to Him when you've lied about everything else? How we address people and how whether we're truthful people makes a, is a big deal. So we swear by what is false. And then finally, finally, look at verses 7 through 10. This is when we get to, to, to the part where you're familiar with the song, lift up you head, your heads, O you gates, be lifted up you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the mighty in battle. Lift up your heads. And you see that repetition as it comes over and over again. He is the King of glory. The Lord Almighty is the King of glory. When we hear about these gates, when it says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, this is a personification of the gates having to expand to make room for the presence of the King of Kings. The gates must participate in worship. The gates to the city must grow by recognizing the magnificence of God, the awesome nature of God. So if this too would have been part of this reading, this responsive reading, and the priest would have asked, who is this king of glory? And would have been answered by the people as an expression of God's desire for his presence to be in their midst. This is a battle cry for the church to recognize his current rule and his coming reign. And it's a charge to have a grander view of God. City gates can't contain him, yet the Bible tells us he is our father, our friend, and our savior. If you wanted one litmus test question of whether or not you are being sanctified, we hear that word, what does it mean? Are you continually becoming more like Jesus? How would you view that? If you said, all right, Larry, I know you probably could give a, a, a thousand question test. If you had one thing for people to look at to figure out whether or not sanctification was happening in their life, what would be their one thing? Here, this would be it. Do you have an ever-expanding view of God? Is God getting bigger 
Are you seeing him as more grand, more awesome, more powerful, more graceful, more loving, more sovereign, more faithful, more wonderful? Are you seeing God as bigger than you saw him when you were younger? Bigger than you saw him when you first got saved? Is your vision of God growing? Most of us, and this is not most, let me restate that, all of us, your view of God my view of God is way too small. He is more than we can possibly think or even imagine. And when we have an ever-increasing view of the majesty and grandeur of God, that is when truly, when we say sola de gloria, glory to God alone, we glorify him more as we view him as greater and grander and more beautiful and see him for more of what he truly is. Pray with me. Lord, we bow before you to give you glory because you alone are worthy. And so we bow before you, and Lord, we ask that we would be a people that acknowledge that you deserve glory because you own the world and you own our lives. So God, help us to approach you with holy lives. And Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we have an ever-expanding view of your majesty. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that you've given us to give you glory with our lives. Where we failed you, God, we thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. So may we now look toward with expectancy towards what it is that you are going to do, not only in our personal lives and in our family lives, but in this church's life as well. So God, I pray that we would be a people that not only love each other, that not only love you well, but it also love each other well. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.